Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org membership. The year 5780 is a year we will remember for a long time. It's common to hear people make remarks about 2020. But the trouble really began last fall with the locusts in Africa, the storms in the Middle East, the floods in Israel, and the virus in China. If we're going to be rueful over the year, it's the biblical year 5780 we should rue, not necessarily the civil year 2020. On Rosh Hashanah this year, it's our hope and our prayer that 5781 is going to be a lot better. For example, at the end of Mincha on Erev Rosh Hashanah, shortly before we begin the first prayer service for the holiday, we sing a holiday song called Achot Katana, the Little Sister. This is part of the synagogue liturgy. At the end of each verse, the refrain says, Let the year and its curses conclude. And at the end of the last verse, it says, Let the new year and its blessings begin. These words seem especially appropriate this year as we come to the end of a dramatic and difficult year for the whole world, for our country, and for all of us. If you've been following my teachings over the course of this year, you know I've been trying to sound the alarm. I feel like a watchman on the wall, looking off into the distance and shouting to the city, There's trouble on the horizon! These troubles are the birth pangs of the Messiah into which the world has been plunged. I see no reason to recite the list of calamities and travails, signs, and portents that have been thrust upon the world. I've already compiled several such lists in the Shabbat teachings titled Birth Pains of the Messiah. Last week, I put together a video blog consisting of excerpts from the news spanning the last year to illustrate the gravity of the situation. The video is accompanied by Troy Mitchell's rendition of a portion from the High Holiday Liturgy. If you would like to see it, it's on the Beth Emanuel YouTube page and also on our Facebook page. The morning after I posted the video, I woke up to see amazing new footage of the West Coast fires in which the skies over California and Oregon had literally turned an uncanny color of red. It was the result of the smoke in the atmosphere rising from what has been called the worst fires of the century, burning millions of acres. One need not travel to the West Coast to, this, to see the smoke. By last Monday morning, the smoke of the fires had clouded the skies above Hudson, and it remains in the air, creating that dim haze. Today, they say, the smoke has begun to reach Europe. But back on the West Coast... The smoke turns the daytime skies bright blood red, which surely seems like another sign. As it says in the Gospels, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? but cannot discern the signs of the times? Matthew 16, 1-3 It's important for us to discern the signs of the times. We would be belligerent indeed if we refused to take note of the events transpiring around us every day. 
the cynic and the skeptic always say these things are happenstance. But the person of faith believes that nothing is happenstance. How much less when we see, th- we see such things happening in the world today. The prophet Ezekiel refers to the trumpet and the sound of the shofar as the responsibility of the watchman who stood on the walls guarding the city. Ezekiel warns us not to be like the irresponsible watchman who saw the enemy coming but did not sound the shofar to raise the alarm. If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Ezekiel 33, 2 through 6. Likewise, the prophet Jeremiah says, I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. Jeremiah 6, 17. As we enter Rosh Hashanah to hear the sound of the trumpet, I implore you to pay attention. I don't need to read the news to you. I won't mention the hurricane that made landfall yesterday, the second this month. And I won't dwell on the fact that in the Southwest, since mid-August, thousands and thousands of migratory birds have been inexplicably dropping out of the sky, dead. Hundreds of birds, thousands of birds, and scientists don't know why. Is that a sign? Is it the proverbial canary in the coal mine? On the level of spiritual realities, I find it significant that the Breslov Hasidim have been banned from entering Uman this year. Breslov Hasidim have a long-standing tradition to make pilgrimage to the Ukrainian city of Uman every Rosh Hashanah because that is the burial place of Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. Who can say what spiritual transactions take place in unseen worlds during Rosh Hashanah in Uman? Every year, some 30,000 Hasidic Jewish pilgrims arrive in Uman to pray to God in the merit of Rebbe Nachman and to celebrate the festival together. Not this year. Due to the pandemic, the government of Ukraine said no. Some 2,000 or so Breslov Hasids tried to go anyway, but they found themselves up against roadblocks and Ukrainian border guards. They found themselves trapped for days between Belarus, which is now teetering on the edge of a dangerous revolutionary meltdown, and Ukraine, unable to enter Ukraine, unwilling to leave. The Red Cross had to intervene with supplies and distributions. Meanwhile, in Israel, COVID-19 infections have risen so steeply, over 3,000 new cases a day, that the government is putting the country back into a three-week lockdown, effectively canceling high holiday services in Israel's synagogues. Israel went under lockdown this spring, just like we did, and was under shelter-at-home rules during Passover, preventing people from attending holiday services. Now it's back to lockdown for fall holidays. 
Once more, synagogues are going to stand empty during the holy days. This is unprecedented. Something like this has never happened. The silence of the synagogues is ominous. Even in synagogues where the shofar will be sounded, the Orthodox Union recommends literally putting a mask over the end of the shofar to prevent it from becoming the super-spreader instrument that sickens the whole community. These things are not happenstance. They aren't coincidence. Nor are they part of an orchestrated global conspiracy executed by the deep state. These are the birth pangs of the Messiah for our generation. And it may be that As Yeshua says, these are only the beginning of the birth pangs. Birth pangs may come and go, but if these are merely the beginning, then things may yet get worse, and we may experience more trouble before things get better. It reminds me of the passage in the Torah that says, In the morning you say, If only it were evening, and at evening you will say, If only it were morning. We may yet hear people say, Remember when we thought 2020 was bad? That's why it's important for us to pray sincerely for God's mercy in the coming year. Mercy for the world, mercy for the people of God, mercy for the Jewish people, and mercy for us. Don't assume your prayers won't make a difference. They certainly will make a difference. The prophet Isaiah says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. We are those watchmen that God has set upon the walls of Jerusalem. It's our job to petition him ceaselessly until kingdom come. How much more so in the days of awe. Remember that On Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court assigns the verdicts and the measures and outcomes and judgments and disbursements for the coming year. For example, it was on Erev Rosh Hashanah that Pharaoh dreamed of seven fat cows eaten by seven skinny cows, indicating the beginning of seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. God decides not only the fate of the Jewish nation on Rosh Hashanah, but the fate of all his creatures, all nations. Coronavirus did not catch God by surprise. It was inscribed in the books last year on Rosh Hashanah. The heavenly court fixes the fate of nations for the coming year. On Rosh Hashanah, the fate of who will live and who will perish is determined. On Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court determines the amount of money a person will make over the, coming, over the course of the coming year. The court determines the harvests for the coming year and even the weather that we will experience. Whether a person will stand or fall, become wealthy or poor, these things are decided on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court determines a person's state of health for the coming year. And this is why we repent before Rosh Hashanah and why we plead with the court for mercy before the verdict is sealed on Yom Kippur. Our community has been fortunate. We ask God for protection from the pandemic, and, so far, He has heard that prayer and spared us. But today our prayers are also with Messianic community Etz Chaim. This last week, we learned that community has suffered a COVID outbreak. Rabbi Ed Rothman and his wife have been hospitalized as a result. I'm not suggesting that we have gone unscathed here. 
we had a few members and leadership as well who came down with what was presumably COVID with all the telltale symptoms only a week after closing our doors. Had we stayed open one more Shabbat, it might have been a different story here in beautiful, historic Hudson, Wisconsin. Many of our members have suffered different types of traumas this year, medical traumas, domestic traumas, personal traumas, on a level and a scale that I consider unprecedented for our community. The clustering of so many significant blows seems remarkable, which is why I'm remarking on it. It reminds us of the Master's warning. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10.34 The sword comes first, then the peace. We feel the absence of peace keenly. I need not pontificate on the local trauma of the George Floyd story that took place a mere 30 minutes drive time from Hudson, nor the ensuing protests and riots, nor need I offer you further warnings about the political acrimony which has taken demonic possession of our country, spewing a black ichor of conspiracy theories brewed up in the devil's own cauldrons of political rhetoric, hatred, paranoia, and fear propagated on the internet. The whole society found themselves sitting at home with nothing to do but to surf the internet for most of the year. Social media is engineered to feed you according to your assumptions and predispositions, but the truth is nowhere to be found. The traumas of the previous year should come as no surprise to any disciple of Yeshua. Our Master warns us that, in the hour before His coming, there will be such things and such calamities, as He told His disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. The great thing about birth pangs is that despite the pain, there's a new baby born at the end. If these things are the birth pangs of the Messiah, it's good news, no matter how bad it gets, because the Messiah is nearer. The darker it gets, the brighter the coming light will shine. On Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of the birth of Isaac to remind us that there is an end to waiting. Though Sarah waited for the fulfillment of the promise long past all natural expectation, God proved himself faithful and brought the promised son. Likewise, we are long past all natural expectation for the coming of the Messiah. But God will prove faithful, and he may as well do so in our lifetimes as in any other time. Though he tarries... I await him every day. That does not mean that I am left waiting every day. It means that every day I expect him to arrive. We wait for the coming of the Messiah, like the watchman waits for the morning. A few weeks ago, I taught you about Psalm 27, the psalm that we recite from the beginning of Elul until the end of Sukkot. On Rosh Hashanah, we add another psalm to the daily prayers, Psalm 130. In this psalm, King David pictures himself like a night watchman positioned on a city wall or on the edge of an encampment, peering into the darkness. The watchman sits in complete darkness, without any light. If he had a lamp or a torch, it would betray his position and blind him to anything in the darkness. So it's dark out, real dark. And his job is to stare into that darkness, looking for any sign of movement, listening for any sounds, minute by minute, hour after hour. He's got to stay there, holding that position, staring into the darkness until the morning light comes. That's why he's waiting so impatiently for the morning. The psalm says, 
I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. These words correlate closely with the closing sentiment of Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Kaveh El Hashem. The word Kaveh can be translated as wait, to wait, or it can be translated as to hope. It's the same word. To wait for God is to hope in God, and to hope in God is to wait for God to fulfill his promises. The watchman is waiting for the light to dawn. He has set his hope in that dawning light. And who is the light? As it says it says in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. There is an aspect of faith that is closely bound up with this waiting hope. We have faith in the goodness of God. Even in the worst circumstances, even when we don't deserve mercy, we continue to hope in God and wait for His goodness. Even when we experience trials and storms of life, we wait on God and hope in His goodness. That's why we recite this psalm during the days of awe, daily, every day from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur. Let's read the psalm, starting at the beginning. A Song of Ascents Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist feels that he is in a low place. He is in the depths, in the darkness, longing for God's help. So he's praying out of the depths. During the high holidays and the days of awe, we are all in the depths, so to speak, because we are all in spiritual trouble. It's a trial. Our sins are going to be scrutinized, and the court is going to issue judgment. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We ask God for mercy because we are in the depths and because we know that we do not deserve to have him act on our behalf. We have no worthy deeds or merits upon which to rely. There's no reason God should feel compelled to rescue us except that he is merciful. So we ask him for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? On Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court is seated in judgment and opens the book of deeds. It reads itself. In its pages, every deed is recorded, all of our misdeeds and sins too, and they condemn us. And that is precisely why we ask for God's mercy during the high holidays. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Our deeds condemn us in the heavenly court, but with God, there is forgiveness of sins, specifically through the atoning work of our master, Yeshua. Under the terms of the new covenant initiated in his blood, our sins and lawless deeds will be remembered no more. Therefore, we wait for the Lord, hoping in the Lord. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word. I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Even though we are in the darkness, it's not the darkness upon which our eyes focus. Rather, we are looking to the horizon, longing for the light, waiting for the light more than watchmen for the morning. How do we wait for the light? By hoping in his word. 
though the darkness of our sins testifies against us, we wait for the Lord and hope in his word. Though the darkness of the world around us conceals the light and the troubles and tribulations of the times beset us, nevertheless, we wait for the Lord and hope in his word. We don't give in to despair and bitterness. We don't collapse into self-pity or lose ourselves in negativity. Instead, we wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We are the watchmen in the dark hour of the night, waiting for the light of the Messiah to dawn, for the Son of Righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. We are waiting for the words to be fulfilled that say, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the light of the Messiah will shine on you. In the darkness of this current night, our task as watchmen is simple. Sound the warning when trouble approaches, but cling to the light of Messiah and fix our hope upon it. It would be easy to simply focus on the darkness, easy to point out the negative state of the world and to wallow in depression. I mean, half the country is burning down, right? But we have a higher calling. Let those angry people on the internet and the nightly news wring their hands and churn out their vitriol. We have more important things to worry about. On Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of the binding of Isaac in which we are reminded that this life is a test. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham. After what things did God test Abraham? After all the other tests with which we had already tested him. That's because all of life can be understood as a spiritual test. The test is, will I see the good and cling to Hashem and show love toward others? Or will I see the darkness turn inward and cling to this world. As we look back over the year, it will be easy to fail the test by focusing only on our own personal difficulties, sorrows, and disappointments. But that's not who we are. We are the disciples of the living Messiah, the risen King, possessors of a living hope that dwells within us, children of the light, waiting for the light, and in the light we see light. Every day, a person needs to choose to see the good instead of the negative. The world is filled with sorrows, anguish, and suffering. It takes no special insight to see that, but it takes real spiritual insight to see the good and then to be the good. Earlier this year, back in April, when we were still in the lockdowns and the early era of COVID, I told you that this was a test that would reveal people's character. I said there are two possible outcomes. Humanity could emerge from COVID-19 many steps closer to the kingdom, closer to the revelation of God. We could emerge from this disaster a kinder people, more enlightened, more in tune with spiritual realities, more concerned for our neighbor and for other peoples elsewhere in the world. We could emerge from COVID-19, the COVID-19 era, wiser and gentler with a heightened sense of empathy for the suffering of others and a concern for their well-being and a sharpened sense of wonder at the gift of life and the enjoyment of life's simple delights. Or 
we could emerge from COVID-19 a meaner people, an angrier people, embittered against this ideology or that, and possessing a heightened sense of xenophobia and paranoia, even more hardened and calloused to the spiritual world and the hand of Hashem, as it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. I hope and pray, brothers and sisters, that you've chosen the first option. As Moses says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. How should we see the world around us? I want to remember 5780 not as the year of my father's suffering and death, though it was that, but as the year of my granddaughter's birth and dramatic entrance into the world. The world we experience is the world we create. I prefer not to think of 5780 as the year of curses, but as the year that the light of the Messiah drew so much closer that, at the blast of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we expected to see him descend on the clouds. On Rosh Hashanah, we sound the shofar to declare the kingship of Hashem. The blast of the shofar rends our hearts and inspires us to repent because it is the fanfare of the king. In the presence of the king, we regret our disloyalty. Another way to express this concept is to say that the shofar declares the kingdom of heaven, that is, the gospel of Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This explains why it says, His voice was the voice of a trumpet. The trumpet of Rosh Hashanah declares the good news message of Yeshua that he himself is the embodiment of God's kingship. He can declare the kingdom because he is the king. If I was to ask the average churchman, what is the message of the gospel? I might receive the answer, Jesus died for our sins. I don't dispute that Jesus died for our sins. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that Yeshua is the king who brings the kingdom of God. That is also the message of the shofar. The shofar on Rosh Hashanah declares the enthronement of the king. Ordinarily on Rosh Hashanah, we prostrate ourselves to the floor in the presence of the king. It's the day of the king. I'll try that again. Ordinarily on Rosh Hashanah, we prostrate ourselves to the floor of the synagogue in the presence of the king. It's the day of the king. In the midst of this present darkness and chaos, it doesn't feel as if God is in charge. It feels instead like everything is out of control. It feels like California is burning down, like Minneapolis is in flames, like the bowling alleys are all closed and there wasn't much to do, and the economy is sinking, and the synagogues are closed, and it feels like bad guys are taking over the government, and the good guys are losing, and we are drowning in lies and fake news, and no one knows which end is up anymore. How can we say God is in charge of this mess? Well, in Bible times, it sometimes happened that when things were really bad like this, usually far worse, that a man of God or a godly woman would fast and pray and say to God, Did you notice things are really bad in your world? Your people are suffering. The bad guys are winning. Then God would send an angel to grant an apocalypse to that person. Apocalypse means unveiling. The angel would lead the person on a tour of the unseen world, the real world, 
behind the scenes so that he or she would see the angelic world, the heavenly places, the seat of judgment, and the world of truth. Then he or she would see a future vision of how God will intervene, send his Messiah, defeat evil, restore his people, and bring the kingdom. And from that vantage point within the heavens, within the apocalyptic vision, it became obvious that the state of chaos and evil that seemed to hold sway over the world was merely an illusion, a thin veneer without substance, a trick of the light, or lack thereof, and that ultimately God is in control. He is bringing everything about for the good, and in the time to come, he will make all things new. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we experience an apocalypse like that. We hear the trumpet. We ascend to the heavenly court. We stand in the heavenly courts, and it's revealed to us that God is King and His Messiah is coming. This year, I am bringing you a message of hope. Lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. Listen to this word from the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to, to the Lord our God. That's Jeremiah 31.6. We, disciples of Yeshua, are those watchmen dwelling in the hill country, declaring that the appointed time has come, saying, Arise, let us go up to Zion. In this text, the word for watchman is not shomrim as is ordinarily the case, but rather it's the unusual word notsrim, which can also be translated as Nazarenes, the disciples of Yeshua. If we read it that way, the text says, There shall come a day when Nazarenes, that is the disciples of Yeshua, will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion. We are the watchmen. We have the simple and delightful task of waiting through the night, clinging to the light, holding fast to hope, waiting on the Messiah, and seeking after the presence of God. Do not be dismayed by the storms around you. Our Master is in the boat with us, and His Word can calm the storm. As His disciples, it's our job to emulate him in that. We should not be numbered among, among the agitated or among those who love to agitate and stir the pot. Rather, we should be like the master of whom it says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. In the name of Yeshua, the nations will place their hope. So we wait and we hope. Like watchmen on the walls, staring into the darkness, waiting for the light of dawn. I have seen the coming light, and it's called Yeshua, Prince of Peace, King of Kings. Rise up, your light has come. 
I invite you, my brothers and sisters, to join me in welcoming the beautiful year 5781. May you be inscribed in the Book of Life for a sweet and blessed new year. Take on my yoke And learn from me And find rest for your soul